a little over eight minutes and 30 seconds left in the second half of last Wednesday's Big 12 basketball game between Baylor and Oklahoma. This action temporarily halted the game. Some very unselfish basketball plays, and now the game is coming to him, and he's getting ready to take over. And, and they're going six. They're going six against five. Tell the Baylor fans you can't do that. You have to play five on five. I think that's at least where James Naismith was going with the rules of basketball. Well, particularly when it's a five-year-old, that's your sixth man. <laughs> Look at this. Less. Look at oh, no, here we go. <laughs> that's beautiful, isn't it? Isn't that beautiful? Oh, kids. My kids would have done that. As I watched that this week, I had this thought that so often, or perhaps you feel this way, I feel like that little kid. I think I'm going to really score big in life, and I run onto the court, and suddenly... I realize my opposition is a lot bigger and stronger than I had ever imagined. Two weeks ago, Pam and I met a lady in her 30s. And as we began to talk to her, she opened up and told us that she was a very lonely person and isolated herself. We talked to her a little bit further, and she said that and she said this, she said, all the employees, all her coworkers, feel as if she's just a grump. And then she told us that since age 14, she has given up on life. Somewhere around age 14, she ran onto that court and said, oh, the opposition's too big, too strong, too fast. I can't do this. It didn't take us long to realize that she didn't know this story, this book, because that is our epic story. And unfortunately, I think so many of us with her really do not seem to know as much as we need to know about that story. That's why we've been spending the last four weeks and today talking about this story. We've talked about the hero and the villain. We've talked about the, the journey that we're on. We've, we've talked about the bride. We realized that the creator of the story in the very beginning had an intention to create a world that would be submissive to his loving authority through the means of humanity that he created us in his image to be as he would be on this earth and rule as he would rule. So when you go tomorrow to GE, it is God's intention and has always been God's intention that when you show up at GE, that you are the loving and authoritative rule of God in that place. That's why Jesus said, pray, come, your kingdom be done, your will, because you are the process upon which that's going to happen. We're, we think that we pray that, and then he goes over and does the thing. He said, no, no, I want it to happen through you. 
It's going to happen, he said, through humanity, and specifically he guards that authority for his children. It is given to his children, those who trust him. For he says, if you trust me, then I can trust you with that authority. But built within our DNA, coming from our first mom and dad, we have this issue that when an alternate voice gives an alternate ending and tells us that we don't have to have the relational connection and submission and we can rule without it and we listen to that, we now say to him, we don't trust you. And in doing so, we emancipate ourselves from the family. And in doing so, we lose that authority and then we begin to realize as we run onto that court that we're not as big and as strong and as fast as we should have been. And we lose our destiny. That lady at age 14 felt like she lost her destiny and she hasn't been able to retrieve it. And I want to propose to you this morning that we cannot retrieve our lost destiny without knowing this book. Lose God, lose your authority. Lose your authority and you lose the ability to take on the giants that you face. So when we do that, we try to make ourselves bigger and stronger and faster, and we run into the court only to find that we're just not up to the task. We're just not good enough. And so we mess up, we blow up, we give up because we don't know this book. The center of this book must be the center of our consciousness. There is a truth that says whatever we think and hear, that's what we become. So follow me on this because I've been thinking about this lately. That as I face those giants, and how many in this place have issues, challenges, people, powers, agencies, that when you face them, they seem like giants? Yeah. When I face those things and I'm struggling to get through that, the thought is now occurring to me. It is because that I am not the person I should be, and I am not the person that I should be because I'm not thinking the things that I should be thinking. That's why Paul the Apostle wrote these words, and we're going to spend some time in Romans, the 10th chapter, and you can use your notes that are in your service folder or on the screen or get your own Bible or Bible in front of you and turn to Romans 10. We're going, to, we're going to plant there today. And here's what Paul said in Romans 10, starting with the first verse. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. He said the Israelites had this zealousness. The word means to be boiling over, to be passionately hot. They had this zealousness for God. And they're like that kid who runs onto the court to say, here we go, only to realize that there's giants that they cannot face. And he said the issue is this. They have this heat and they have this passion, but they do not have the knowledge, literally meaning a full acquaintance. They have this zealousness for God, but they are not fully acquainted with God 
And if they were, they would understand that God says, already I have shown you how to face your giants, but you will not fully understand me, fully understand what I've said, and therefore you're trying to battle this in your own strength, in your own swiftness, your own speed, your own might, and you can't do it. They were not thinking the right things, and so they were not the right people. Therefore, they couldn't face their battles. There was no one in Israel who was the right person to face a giant named Goliath, not even the king. Oh, wait, but there was one, a shepherd boy. Amazingly, that when he confronted this giant, and he truly was a giant, in full armament, as he approached him only with a sling and some stones, here is what he declared. First Samuel 17 says this, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Who have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. And today I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. How many of you would love to say that to your enemies? Or to the government? Yes, right. To the IRS. When's the last time you had that kind of confidence? David did not come to Goliath with the intent of being bigger, stronger, faster. In fact, he knew this. He knew that even if he had thrown a marshmallow, that Goliath, that, that, that giant was going down because it was not David killing him, but it was the lordship of God himself and the authority that was destroying, and it was already on track, and it was going to happen no matter what because he believed. How would you like to have that authority? then you have to have the acquaintance, the full acquaintance. You have to have the absorption of, of this story and what it says. The verse we read earlier ended with these words, Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. I want to tell you that when you read this, and it's not a book of myths and just history, when you read this, the Greeks called it the logos, meaning the expression of God. The disciples said that this is the breath of God. That when you read this, it begins to, to transform who you are on the inside. And what it does, it always does, it points you to the end goal. Because Christ, has said, is the end. The word is teleos. It means the end goal. That everything written in the Scripture was to bring you to this one point, that you would be introduced to Jesus. Everything points you to Jesus, because when you find Jesus, you would begin to believe. And when you believe, he would make you right before God, and you would be back to being family again and not have lost your authority, and the authority would be given to you so that you could face your giants and you could defeat them, and it would not be you defeating them, but the authority of God would come against those things you face and tear them down. 
Several years ago, there was a song written by Aaron Jeffries that talks about how you find Jesus all the way through the Scripture. See, no matter where you turn, you're going to find it pointing right to Jesus. And if you'll bear with me, I, just, I, I want to repeat. I won't sing it for you, but I'll repeat it for you. In Genesis, he's the breath of life. In Exodus, the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. Numbers, the fire by night. Deuteronomy, he's Moses' voice. In Joshua, he is salvation's choice. Judges, lawgiver. In Ruth, the kinsman redeemer. First and second Samuel, our trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he's sovereign. Ezra, true and faithful scribe. Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of broken walls and lives. In Esther, he's Mordecai's courage. In Job, the timeless redeemer. In Psalms, he is our morning song. In Proverbs, he's wisdom's cry. In Ecclesiastes, the time and season. In the Song of Solomon, he is a lover's dream. He is, he is, he is. In Isaiah, he's the prince of peace. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. In Lamentations, the cry for Israel. Ezekiel, he's the call from sin. In Daniel, the stranger in the fire. In Hosea, he is forever faithful. In Joel, he's the Spirit's power. In Amos, the arms that carry us. In Obadiah, he's the Lord our Savior. In Jonah, he's a great missionary. In Micah, the promise of peace. In Nahum, he is our strength and our shield. In Habakkuk and Zephaniah, he's pleading for revival. In Haggai, he restores a lost heritage. In Zechariah, our fountain. Because he is, he is, he is. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he is God, man, Messiah. In the book of Acts, he is fire from heaven. In Romans, he's the grace of God. In Corinthians, the power of love. In Galatians, he is the freedom from the curse of sin. Ephesians, our glorious treasure. Philippians, a servant's heart. In Colossians, he's the Godhead Trinity. Thessalonians, our coming king. In Timothy, Titus, Philemon, he's our mediator and our faithful pastor. In Hebrews, the everlasting covenant. In James, the one who heals the sick. In First and Second Peter, he is our shepherd. In John, in John and Jude, he is a lover coming for his bride. In Revelation, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The prince of peace, the son of man, the lamb of God, the great I am. He's the alpha and omega, our God and our savior. He is Jesus Christ the Lord. And when time is no more, he is. Know this book, and you will know him, and he will be Lord over your giants. I want to tell you that I think many of us struggle over and over and over and over again with the same issues because we don't know this book. And I have seen people who understand as they have eaten up the words of that book and allow this book to read them, they have begun to understand the lordship of God in their lives and in their circumstances. I have a friend diagnosed with cancer, and she began to, to go deep into this and say, show me understanding. And in this, God gave her faith for healing. And one day we prayed for the cancer in her neck, and the next day she went to the doctor, and it was gone because he is Lord over sickness. I have another friend who had cancer, and he died. But before his death, he went deep into this word, and in the process, God said to him, do not be fearful. And when he died, he, went, he died in peace, understanding that he was walking with God, and he realized that Jesus is also Lord over death. I have another friend who began to, to read this and to absorb this, and God began to give him faith, 
and he became very wealthy. And he's one of those people who shares his wealth incredibly because he understood that God is Lord over our resources. I have another friend who gave everything she had away and went to live with the poor as she read this book because she understood that God was also Lord over oppression and she was there to help walk those people in poverty out of their oppression. I cannot guarantee you exactly how God's going to deal with you. But I can guarantee this, that no matter what you are facing, when you know who he is, and you read this book and you understand who he is, no matter what you face, you will trust him. Trusting then comes from knowing that word and confessing it. I'm not talking about a formula. I'm not saying if you say these words, then God has got to do his thing as if it's just, he's a jack in the box and you wind him up enough, he's going to pop up and give you your deal. It's not going to happen. It's not a name it and claim it thing. And I believe in, in walking in faith. I, I had a friend years ago in a different city that I met him one day and he had a horrible cold. It was just horrible. And I said, Rob, you got a cold. No, I don't. I said, Rob, you got a cold. No, I don't. Not, I'm, not, I'm not claiming it. I said, it claimed you. Look. Look. <laughs> and I mean, I'm, I'm serious. The snot was just trying to dripping out of his nose. I said, Rob, look. Your eyes are what you got a cold. No, I'm not, not going to receive it. I said, you, you got the cold. See, Rob was afraid that if he ever said, I got a cold, God would say, whoop, hands off. Not going to help you. See, this is much more than just a confession of, of some kind of formula. This is a relational connection that you know that you know when God's speaking to you. That's why Paul continues in Romans, the 10th chapter, and he says this, but the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scriptures say, anyone who trusts in him will not be put to shame. He said, Paul said, no, look, you cannot go up into heaven and try to get a revelation there because he's already come to you. He did that. And when he went into the earth on his death, you can't go and help him up because you don't have the ability to do that. So Paul says, quit trying to mess with the stuff you can't do. But here's what you can do. You get deep into this. And it will begin to change your heart. I have a friend who was an atheist. And finally someone said to him, I will never bug you again about Jesus and God if you promise to read the entire Bible. And before you begin, say, God, if you're real, show yourself to me. He read it, and when he got done, before he got done reading it, he came back and said, he's real. Because this is living. He said, you believe with your heart. There will be this transformation that says, I trust him. And then... He said, the word, God's will for you, God's direction for you against your giants is near you. And Paul said, it's in your mouth. Take these words that you read here. 
and you begin to speak out what you feel in your heart. Not a formula, but what you feel in here. You begin to declare what he has said. And, and I'm going to encourage you to speak out loud the words of God so that your ears will hear it and your mind will catch on. Speak it back in praise as you're reading the Holy Scriptures. Okay, oh, God, and here's what you said, and, I, and I'm so thankful. Look what you did. I'm just, this is wonderful, and thank you for that promise. That's such a great promise. Speak it back in praise. You mean like out loud? You bet. In my classroom, probably not. But you can get alone. You can be in the right place. You can be in your car. People can think you're crazy. Go ahead and scream it out. Speak it back in worship, that as you're beginning to understand things about God, because he's going to be giving you these epiphanies and these, these revelations, and suddenly you're in awe of him, and speak to him of the awe. Look who you are. There are moments that I'm praying and I'm reading Scripture, and I'll just start saying to God, look who you are. Look who you are, as if he doesn't know. Look who you are. You are so awesome. And then speak these words out as a declaration to the spiritual forces that surround you so they understand that truth is on its way. The reason we don't face our giants is because we believe lies. This reverses that. We begin to say, this is what the Scripture says, and I believe this, and we begin to declare it. Parents, uncles, aunts, grandparents, As you see your niece and nephew and grandkids and your children begin to struggle with issues of life because there are forces that want to tear them down. As you're reading that, God is going to show you scriptures that apply to them at this moment. Write those in your journal. If you don't have a journal, get one. Just get a notebook. And say, all right, for, for Jesse, I'm writing these words down now. And for Abby, I'm writing these words down now. And every day, and Pam and I have done this in the past, we begin to proclaim those words of truth over them because I, at that moment, as I declare that, am confronting the spiritual forces with truth saying, you got to clear because this is the truth. Because I have the authority to do that. Because that's the authority. Begin to declare that over them. At night, Pam and I would go in to the kids' rooms when they were asleep. And we would gently lay our hands over them, although sometimes we did not want to do that gently. <laughs> and we would say, Lord, here is what your word declares. And we say to the spiritual forces, this is what God says. Is that not what Jesus did when Satan himself came to him and Satan said, this is what it's going to be? And Jesus said, no, 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 it is written. That when you face those giants that, that are attacking against your children, you charge at those giants and you say, you come to me with this power and this thing and that thing, but I say to you, this is what the Word of God says, and today your head's coming off. Now, not literally. But you've got to get bold in that, and you're not bold if you don't understand it. There were days that our kids would be out of their rooms and we would go in and we would just cover it with prayer. Just say, oh God, I declare this truth in this room. For this is who you are. Inhale those words because it is the breath of God. 
and let it then be lived out. Because it doesn't do you any good to declare it if you're not living it. If you're playing, praying purity for your child in high school and you're not living it, you're, you're canceling that puppy out right there. It's no good. So let it work in you. And then as it working in you, say, oh, God, here's the deal. I declare this. And can I encourage you to get ready for the battle? Because when you're doing that, when you are breathing it in, living it out, and declaring it, you're a warrior. But prepare for your battle, not halfway through the day go, oh, yeah, I'm a warrior. When this earth was created, go back to Genesis, you'll find he said the evening and the morning were the first day. The day in God's eyes start the night before. So the night before, you take this and you read it and you find the promises and you find what God is saying and what he's saying to you and you say, oh, God, God, here we go. We're going to, tomorrow, tomorrow, we're ready because the day's already begun. Because I'm going to tell you that when you lay your head down on a mattress of truth, you sleep better. David Letterman is not going to give you that truth. If you're really stuck on him, then DVR. If you don't have a DVR, then tough. I'm telling you, in the evening, instead of watching television or reading a romance novel or playing a video game, Take this book as you're progressing through it and read it and understand it and say, oh, God, this is your truth. And so that as you go and wake up the next morning, it's still on your mind and refresh yourself with it and then march out as a warrior because all powers are subject to what I want to call a community current. Imagine with me if everybody that is a follower of Jesus in the Erie County was inhaling these truths, living them out, and declaring them what would happen. If we're going to do that, and I didn't put this in your notes, but you may just want to put on there, write down the acronym AIM, A-I-M. If we're going to do that, then AIM, the A. It means accuracy. You just can't read through this book and, and take it out of context. You can't just pull a scripture out and, and say, okay, here's what it means without the context. And to do that, you've got to study that. You go, well, that sounds like work. Scripture says, study to show yourself approved, a workman not needing to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It doesn't say you show up on Sunday morning and Reisner gives you 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 45 minutes, sometimes 50 minutes, maybe 60 minutes. And you go, okay, I'm full. Man, that's like me chewing your food at lunch and spitting in your mouth. Sign me up. I'll do it. You study this. That's why we have teachers. And it's beyond me today why when we tell you there's these classes and there's these teachers and these people and somebody coming this weekend to talk about how to live a pure life and you go, I don't know. I may want to go to the YMCA and swim. And then you don't know what the word means and you don't know how to fight your giants. Do you know that David, the reason David was so authoritative with, with Goliath is because the scripture says, and David said, on his word does he meditate both day and night. 
He said, I am like a tree planted by a river so that the roots go down deep. And whenever fruit is necessary, whenever I need to do what I need to do, it's done because I am so deeply rooted in who God is. I have that full understanding. So study. Get a study Bible. You say, you ask me what study Bible I get, I would tell you get the English Standard Virgin, e, Virgin, not Virgin. <laughs> you have to work that on your own. The English Standard Version Study Bible. It is really thick. And it's got great notes. And it's accurate. But get someplace where you're going to learn God's Word. That's accuracy. I is the next one. Know who you are in him. When you read this, you begin to discover who you are. That was the problem with the lady Pam and I were talking to. She had no idea who she was in God's eyes. So find your identity and live it out. M, move. Get going in obedience. Live it out. Move together. Those three are inseparable. If we do that, we would be Strong, fast, and on the court, and the opposition would be as a little children wandering the court. I mean, when the evil spirit saw Jesus coming, who knew the Word of God accurately, who knew his identity, and was moving under God's direction, when the spirits saw him, they said, oh, wait, wait, what are you going to do to us? Because suddenly they realized how small they were in comparison to his lordship. I love what J.R. Daniel Kirk says about who we are. The Christian story is one that recognizes that the strength and rule exerted by the powers is not the ultimate power in the cosmos. The powers are themselves swimming in the stream of the advancing kingdom of God, and their own ability to endure or failure to endure will be in direct proportion to their willingness to render to God whatever glory they might possess. That is, in fact, what the book of Revelation points for us, or paints for us in vivid colors. So Pam and I... Two weeks ago, took a little vacation break and went with a couple of friends. And we went to a place called Johnny Rockets. There's not one bit of health food at Johnny Rockets. And the lady came up, and we said, how are you? And she said, okay. We said, whoa, 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 you all right? Everybody here thinks I'm grumpy. Well, why would they think that? Uh, I just keep to myself. I just work and I go home. I don't, I, don't, I don't hang out with anybody. I'm a loner. Really? Well, how long have you been like that? Since age 14. You mean you don't, you don't have family? Uh, I got my mom and I got some siblings, but I, I hardly see them. Now, what she doesn't understand at that moment is all four of us are followers of Jesus who are very intent on allowing the kingdom of God to flow through us. And there's this current flowing that she's getting caught up in, and she doesn't even realize it. It's already happening. I'm not talking about none of us broke out in tongues and suddenly gave a prophetic word. Behold, the Lord says, give us the meal free. It's just conversation. But this is a divine appointment. Because we weren't going to eat at that restaurant. We suddenly decided we want to. We're there. One of them says to her, what about your dad? 
He died when I was 14. She starts to cry because suddenly there's this movement of God going deep inside of her. And the spiritual forces that have guarded her from ever understanding there might be something better are getting swept into this current. And they're going to have to yield to the lordship of Jesus in this process because we are carrying the authority that comes out of this book. And it's really not the book. The book, the words are not themselves anything important. It is the spirit that comes through there. So she says, excuse me, and she starts crying, she walks off. And we look at each other and go, God's working here. She comes back, and I ask her, if you could do anything else other than serving here at Johnny Rockets, what would it be? She said, I've always wanted to be an accountant. I said, why don't you do that? I don't know. I'll tell you why. Because there's some giants who told her she can't. Now. There comes this movement, this current of God within the community. Because understand that this is not, and, and I have trouble with the phrase that we use sometimes, Jesus is your personal Savior. Yes, he deals with you individually, but he's not your personal Savior. He's not the one that helps just you. He is the Lord of the cosmos. And so when we come together, all of us who are believers in Jesus, we become what we call the fellowship. The word is koinonia. It means those who are intimately connected to each other. And in this case, through Jesus, we become this current. And this power of God, this authority that we have learned through that book is flowing through us. And the giants are standing up saying, you can't do that. And we're saying, oh, no, yes, we can do that. And by the day's done, your head's going to be on a platter, sucker. And we're moving this thing together. So suddenly, the guy of the couple we're with begins to talk to her about how God sees her. And it becomes this prophetic thing. And by prophetic, I mean he's speaking out words that God must be speaking, that she's not heard. And we talked to her about who she is in God and what God wants to do with her life. And, and, and we begin to give her encouragement and a, a revealing of how God views her. And the lady that's with us says, I want to pray for you. She says, oh, that's fine. She says, no, 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 right now. She takes her by the hands and she begins to pray. And there is this current moving that the spiritual forces have to back up and say, he's Lord. We got done, and her countenance began to change. You say, well, then she accepted Jesus, filled the Holy Spirit, and is on the evangelistic field. No. She still serves at Johnny Rockets, I'm sure. But we did what we were supposed to, and the current continues. All powers are subject to this community current. That's why Paul wrote these words. Romans 10, verse 14, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in, and how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Verse 17 says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing, and hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. See, how can this lady understand God's forgiveness and love unless she hears about it? 
and she hadn't. And how can she hear about it unless someone preaches? You go, well, then they send preachers. No, that's not the issue. The, the original word is not sending a professional preacher. It just means someone who will preach. And that word preach means to tell the good news. Anybody. And how can that person preach unless they are sent? And you're thinking, well, I'm not going to be a missionary. No, no, no. The emphasis in this verse is on the one who is doing the sending. And Paul would tell you that the reason he's doing what he's doing is because Jesus sent him to do it. And the same thing will happen to you and should happen to you as you're reading this. You will hear the voice of God say, I just need you right here. You may not even hear the voice of God. You may just be there because he has a way of getting you there. And suddenly this opportunity comes up and you just want to just help somebody. And, and the words start out. Because the believing comes from hearing the words about Jesus and the words of Jesus. And how can you speak them if you don't know them? That's what this book is about. Because when we know this book and we're hanging together, we are the community of the current. And we as a community are bringing justice to the marginalized. We're feeding the poor. We're praying for the sick. We're loving our enemies. We're forgiving offenses. We're encouraging the hopeless. We're bringing beauty through our songs and through our art and through our dance. We're caring for the earth. We're standing up for the oppressed. We're working hard at our jobs. We're giving thanks and we're being loyal to Jesus. Because Jesus is more than just my personal Savior. He is the enthroned Lord of the entire cosmos. So it's time for us to walk onto that court, not as a child unaware of the dangers, but as a warrior running onto that court to take on all opponents, knowing that the score has already been determined. For the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That is this book. That is our epic story. So please, study it. Read it every day. Live it. Declare it. Because this is our story. Would you stand? I want to pray a blessing on you. So now, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as you read his word this week, may you discover fresh revelation, increased courage, transforming insight, and may you have the awareness to declare those truths wherever giants stand. And when those giants come against you, may you have the courage to believe, to trust the one who's created you. And may you see victory after victory after victory as you repeat his words. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great week.